Hi friends. So one of my absolute favorite families throughout history is the Kennedy dynasty. We know so much about JFK, RFK, Teddy Kennedy, JFK Jr. But the patriarch of the family, the man whose ambitions started the entire dynasty is Joe Kennedy Sr. who served as ambassador to the United Kingdom from 1938 to 1940. Susan Ronald's brilliant book, The Ambassador, delves into this period in Kennedy's life, his obsession with power, and how, when his own political career went up in flames, he shifted his aspirations to his sons. Take a listen. I am so excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I loved this book. So let's transport back in time to February 18th, 1938. Joseph okay. P. Kennedy is sworn in as the U.S. ambassador to the Port of St. James's, which you write was, quote, the most prestigious and strategic diplomatic post in the world as mm -hmm. Europe hurtled towards war. So why was Kennedy such a shocking choice for this role? <laughs> Well, um, you know your British history, of course, um, but uh, for the last 500 years, um, I think you could say that Britain had been viewed as the seat of Protestantism. Um, as I've said before, um, I've written two books on Queen Elizabeth I, and it goes back literally 500 years. Um, Catholics only actually got the vote um, in the middle of the 19th century. So it was, it was shocking from that point of view. Britain had also um, taken a long time to accept that the Irish Free State, as Ireland was called. So because Joe had this very strong Irish Catholic background, at first, when he said he wanted to be ambassador, everybody laughed. Uh, Roosevelt actually fell out of his chair, uh, <laughs> or I should say wheelchair. Um, Jimmy, his, his eldest son, who was used quite a bit by Joe, couldn't believe his ears when he heard it, but Joe was determined. He wanted to have that position. Now, that's the problem. He wanted that position. Roosevelt did owe him for all the work he'd done in the 1932 and the 1936 election. And as he was sounding out the cabinet, he actually realized that there was a positive side to it, but he couldn't let on to anybody about what he saw as the positive side. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he wanted it. Joe wanted this position really to better his own chances in the political arena, mm -hmm. to better his son's chances in the political arena, to give them a little bit of international experience. He even asked the uh, State Department if he could please have Joe Jr. be his um, official secretary. No salary, Joe would pay him a, a dollar a year, and it was refused. Hmm. Why, was Why was that? Refused? Why was it refused? Very simply put, Joe Jr. had still not graduated from Harvard. He was graduating that summer. Yeah. He had no experience. And the State Department wanted Joe Kennedy Sr. to actually take advice from them, to listen to them, and to carry out the State Department's foreign policy with the president. And that's something Joe was not prepared to do. 
Yeah, so when you say that Joe Sr. helped FDR win in 32 and 36, do you mean financially? He um, financially in 32, what he did is he not only gave money, <clears throat> he actually got money on from uh, a number of Republican donors that they said, look, you know, we don't want Hoover to know, but you know, here's 10,000, here's 20,000. Mm -hmm. And Joe would actually uh, basically launder their checks so that all the money would appear to come from Joe Kennedy. Mm -hmm. All right. So wow. it was, there was you know, an awful lot of going on there. He, he was really, really powerful um, uh, in terms of Wall Streeters and big business. He tried to make everybody understand that the New Deal wasn't going to be a raw deal if you were rich, that it wasn't a communist plot. So he worked quite hard in 32. And um, Roosevelt decided not to reward him immediately. Now, the reason I think why he decided not to reward him immediately is Roosevelt was put out by two things. The first thing was that Joe Kennedy was bad-mouthing Roosevelt allegedly behind his back, mm. but all of that came back to the president-to-be, okay? He wasn't president-elect yet. And secondly, in 1932, uh, Joe was actually cozying up to Roosevelt's son, Jimmy, saying, your father's going to repeal a prohibition. You know, Jimmy didn't think that maybe Joe was in favor of Roosevelt because prohibition would be repealed. Um, but Roosevelt thought that might have been a good reason. Mm -hmm. So he started using Jimmy. And what they did is before the election, uh, Joe Kennedy goes to England and Scotland with Jimmy Roosevelt, who is by now seen to be the new president's president-elect's son, and they cut a deal before prohibition is actually um, uh, revoked. And, and Joe gets immediately gets extremely wealthy, mm. okay? Jimmy didn't get very much other than the insurance business uh, for importing uh, liquor to America. So I think, I think Roosevelt was really, really unhappy that his son was being used as a lever Okay, and that's that's really the, the main reason, I think. The other, and you know, of course, he, he was used to Joe and blabbing. He had, yeah. a, he had a mouth. Um, uh, one of his, his military advisors said that he was drunk on his own verbosity, which I think is <laughs> fits it pretty well. That's a beautiful way to phrase that, but yes, okay. I, 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 that's, that's, that's poetically phrased. So, so he, he gets this high-ranking position. So you quote in the book, and you know, we talked offline, and I'm sure that the listeners know by now that I write frequently about the British royal family. So we, we see uh, Joe Sr. and his wife, Rose, at Windsor Castle on April 9th, 1938, Kennedy tells his wife, quote, Rose, this is a hell of a long way from East Boston. So what, what all did this role entail? And it's such a high-ranking position. What, what are the nuts and bolts of the role? Well, uh, uh, an ambassador uh, is basically uh, uh, was seen in those days as a gentleman who you would send to a foreign country to lie for your own country. Okay, so Joe Kennedy's job was to make everybody love Americans, to make everybody understand the American viewpoint. Okay, 
And that, that was incredibly important, particularly after the Wall Street crash, because that affected the whole world. Less so in, in Britain, oddly enough, than in Germany. And the reason why Germany was more affected is because American banks bailed out Germany after the First World War. Whole other topic. So here we've got Joe, who is the, the American voice, not just to Britain, but to something called the British Empire. Mm. You know, we can argue about the British Empire or, or agree about the British Empire till the cows come home. That's not the problem. But if you look at the British Empire as the largest empire the world has ever known, suddenly you're saying, hmm, this is, this is important stuff here. Um, Joe was actually selected by Roosevelt. You know, he, Joe made it quite clear he only wanted to be ambassador. But he was selected because there was a big trade deal with Britain in the offing. There was a, a film deal as part of that. Mm. And because he came so late, America had known for 10 years that the, deal, that the film deal was going to expire in March 1938, okay? But he didn't get there until February. So he could hardly cut a deal then. But everything else in this huge trade agreement was up for grabs. And Joe was a very good businessman. Okay, mm. Not always ethical, but he was a very good businessman. So, um, you know, his being chosen wasn't such a bad idea after all, but from day one, he did not want to listen to the State Department, mm -hmm. literally day one. And so but by the time they were at Windsor Castle, the American government no longer liked him. And that's okay. less than two months in. It, well, it was actually within 15 days, they were going, ah, what have we done? Oh, no. Okay. Oh no. So, and it was too soon to recall him. Okay. Yeah. So you've got to keep him in place, but how are you going to handle this, this bucking bronco? Because that's really what he was. Okay. Yeah. Um, he arrives at Windsor Castle, not having realized that he's already put his foot in it several times with the king already. Mm -hmm. um, the first time was on the way to present his credentials to the king. In the coach, he says to um, the, the uh, king's number one um, man, by the way, I don't think we're going to have any debutantes coming from America anymore. And it's like, what? What? Now, there was a lot of good reason for that. But there was also a very personal reason that two of Joe's daughters, um, Kathleen or Kick and Rosemary, um, were about to become debutantes. Right. Okay, so on, on April 9th, Easter weekend, basically, um, he then starts at the dinner table with the same conversation. Hmm. Okay, And it's not the forum for it. He didn't understand. And he brought it up three different times. He also brought up the fact that, you know, the Jews aren't the only people who are having problems. I've got some nuns in, in Spain. You know, so he's, he's actually starting to look at international policy. Hmm. The king is not allowed to discuss these things outside of his privy council. Right. Okay. So it was a very, very awkward time. Um, the nicest part about it, though, was, was Rose's reflections on um, meeting the two princesses and, and, and that. But, I you know, enjoyed the, reading that so much. Yeah, yes. Really, really sweet. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the fact that she stole the, the stationery. I, think that's <laughs> I know. I just what what a, I mean at this time in thirty eight. So Margaret would have been eighteen, and Elizabeth would have been twenty 
42? Oh, no, no, much younger, much younger. Oh, 38. No, I'm thinking of 48. Excuse me. Yes, that, you're Margaret, would have been, Margaret would have been eight, eight and, yeah. and Elizabeth would have been 12. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I'm sorry. I cannot do math, obviously. No, I, I, I'm I, terrible at math either. <laughs> I, 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 my commodity is words, not numbers, obviously. I agree. So, so yeah. I want to back up for a second. So he's, he's initially, Joe is initially welcomed by the British, but yes. soon, as you say, um, he, by definitely by the end of the two year, the two year reign, if you will, um, he was quite frankly despised by not only the British government, but also, as you said, the White House and the U.S. State Department. Um, Joe was pro-fascism and regularly went against even direct instructions from FDR. So if you could boil it down to one moment where the tide really turned against Kennedy or where, you know, the last, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, what would that be? Well, for the Americans, it was actually, um, believe it or not, the Anschluss. So you're talking March 12th, 1938. Wow, that's not even a month in. That's four days after he arrived. Wow. He tells, he he meets with Ribbentrop, tells Ribbentrop, America's not going to get involved. Do what you want to do in Europe. I'll take care of the English. Okay, he's there. He's there for four days. Ribbentrop is now foreign minister. Um, he, he's there to hand the reins over to his new uh, ambassador to England, guy called von Dirksen, who is really scary looking. But anyway, um, and Joe becomes quite friendly with von Dirksen. Uh, but basically, that is the moment when the US State Department gets really upset because Joe has the audacity to phone them up and he said, listen, I have a speech coming up on the uh, 15th and I wanna say this, that and the other and you're not gonna stop me, which was basically, we're not getting involved. America's not getting involved, okay? Mm. And uh, Cordell Hull, who was the secretary of state says, excuse me, Mr. Kennedy, you do not make foreign policy. Right. We, We do with the president, you deliver it, okay? Yeah. And Kennedy said, shut up. Wow. So is this why, um, you know, especially as World War II looms closer, uh, you he's characterized as a dangerous man, right? Well, when he was sent overseas, Hull couldn't understand why he was sent overseas. Morgenthau, who was the secretary of the Treasury, whose job Kennedy also coveted couldn't understand why he was sent to Britain. Why Britain of all places, you know, send him to, to, to Indonesia, you know, don't send him to Britain. And um, Roosevelt's answer was, he is a very dangerous man. Yeah. He, did not, he did not want Kennedy in Washington with an isolation uh, Congress when, um, to use Cordell, Cordell Hull's words on the 17th of March, 1938, America is insecure if it does not accept its international responsibilities, Mm. period, okay? Mm -hmm. And of course it was, because what would happen if Hitler had taken the British Navy? That was what was protecting the Atlantic, okay? Right. That was the only thing protecting the Atlantic at that time. So, um, you know, there were smarter voices, people who had a lot more experience, who were trying to advise him whose advice he didn't take. So that's the American side. It was like almost on day one, okay? Mm -hmm. Then you've got the British who were trying to cut him a lot of slack, but they understood right away that 
Joe wasn't getting all the information from the Americans on this trade deal, okay? Mm -hmm. Why wasn't he getting it? Oh, it's because he's got a big mouth. Oh, it's because he's bad mouthing the president. Oh, it's because he's doing this, that, or the other. And so the British took a little bit longer also because he was the American ambassador. They were trying to work with him. But by the end of the first six months, so you're talking the um, Czech crisis, okay? In September, 1938, is the world gonna go to war again or not? What does Joe do? He takes the side of Chamberlain and his appeasement policy against the American government. So you go, wait a minute, what's going on here? And that is what really upset people like Churchill, the people who did not believe that appeasing a dictator is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you're on the wrong side of history, um, at the end, you look back to all the various mistakes in the beginning. And I think that you know, certainly Churchill um, had met Hitler in 1932. He recognized what he was. He did. He tried to think of him in a positive term. Yes, he he stopped all of the terrible uh, hyperinflation. He did all these wonderful things inside Germany, but at what cost? Right. What cost? What moral cost? Right. And and for Joe, the moral side of this didn't matter. Okay. Mm. And so that and he didn't learn anything on the way through. That's the tragedy, because when he's leaving in October 1940 and he has tea with King George VI, okay? The king says, you know, Mr. Kennedy, we, we are the two greatest democracies in the world here. You know, we have obligations to smaller countries. We have to keep fighting. Joe didn't get it. He didn't understand. And, and you know, after two years at the, at the sharp end, it just showed that it was only his opinion that counted. Mm. So, it, it, I, yes. So, <laughs> this book is so, <laughs> yes, yes. italicized. So, you know, Kennedy, you write about this. Kennedy basically from birth was drawn to power and being yeah. an, an quote unquote insider, as you write. Yes. So, why do you think he had this obsession with power, which he then thrust, of course, onto his four sons? Oh, I know. Um, it's, I think it's pretty textbook, pretty much textbook. His father was a saloon keeper, okay? He dragged himself out of the poor class in East Boston by um, giving, uh, I, I suppose the right way of putting it is giving political largesse to everybody in East Boston. He was, he was basically the Ward 2 boss of East Boston, which meant he was in charge of getting Democrats or Democratic votes out there. Um, the best thing I can say to anybody who's listening is read Edwin O'Connor's uh, The Last Hurrah or see the movie with Spencer Tracy. Mm. It actually shows you the power of these Ward II bosses. So he went from lower class to middle class and insisted that his son go to Protestant schools. Now you can imagine what he would have gone through as the only Catholic boy in Protestant school. So he went to Boston Latin um, in his uh, high school years. He then went on to Harvard. He had mediocre grades everywhere, um, but he was, the way he compensated was by being jolly and charming and wonderful. And then maybe he would be, 
starting fights or what have you. Um, he would gather around him his close Catholic friends from wherever he happened to be. So what was a chip on his shoulder when he was maybe up to the age of 12, suddenly became this massive mountain. Yeah. Okay. And he was going to prove everybody wrong. The name of Kennedy was as good as the name of Adams. Okay. You mentioned that in the book, how that was his obsession, just having it, the Kennedy was, name be as powerful as the Adams exactly. name. Exactly. So, you know, they weren't in the social register. That was something he had to do for Rose to also prove her father wrong because her father didn't want him to marry Rose. Mm -hmm. It was only when he became the first, the youngest bank, uh, bank president, excuse me, I was going to say bank manager, the youngest bank president in America ever. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's when uh, Honey Fitz, uh, Honey Fitz, who was John Fitzgerald, okay. Who was the mayor decided, of Boston, right? He was, he was twice mayor of Boston. He was in the state Senate. He was also a congressman. And Rose's father, we should interject here. Cause you and I are talking, cause we, exactly. I mean, of course you're the expert on the Kennedys, but I, I yeah. love the Kennedys too. But for those that don't know, uh, Honey Fitz was Rose's father. Rose's father, exactly. And he had to abandon, <laughs> he had to abandon politics because his deadly enemy, a guy called Michael Curley, um, was going to reveal that he had been having an affair with a lady called Toodles. So, um, Toodles of all things. Toodles. <laughs> Toodles. <laughs> yeah. All things. Yeah, all things. So, um, but he was, uh, he was always referred to, Honey Fitz was always referred to by Joe in writing as Mr. Mayor. Mm. And Never you say later that, that Joe would always insist after his ambassadorship as being called Mr. Ambassador. Correct. Even Correct. though it was kind of a failed ambassadorship, if I guess, but um, he he was he Joe just seems so to 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 an insider not an insider to an outsider's perspective he just seems incredibly insecure. He was he was and uh, but he was so cocky with it mm. and apparently confident with it that. Um, he either put people's backs up or people flocked to him. Now, he was, he, he was frankly, quite a money spinner. Mm. He could see an opportunity before it happened, okay? So when it was announced that Hollywood was going to go to talkies, he talked um, Kirstein, who was the owner of Filene's department store in Boston, into investing a million dollars into a film distribution company that Kennedy was going to turn into this wonderful, wonderful film company. He did. Yeah. He did. You know, he made millions and millions, not only out of acquiring the first company, but also he, he started this affair with Gloria, Gloria Swanson. Okay. He then, uh, you know, but he was, he, he basically made RKO and Pathé all part of his empire. And then he left. You can say a lot about Joe Kennedy, and many have, but you cannot deny that he's a successful businessman. He knows how to make money. Exactly, exactly. Um, I remember there was something that uh, somebody had written, I think it was Nigel Hamilton, about Jack, who said that um, Jack met a businessman who had done some deals with his father, and he was shocked to hear that he spoke highly of him because he thought all other businessmen who had dealt with his father came out on the wrong side of it. <laughs> I want to talk for a minute about a Kennedy that we don't often talk about, but I think we should, and that's Kick. So yeah. the Kennedy children, especially Kathleen, whose nickname was Kick Kennedy. So mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but Kick was the fourth child behind Joe Jr., Jack, Rosemary, Kick. Correct. 
um, they were smashing successes on the British social scene, Kick in particular. Um, tell us about Kick's experience in British society and how that led to her ultimate untimely death in 1948. Yeah, um, it's such a tragic story because she was effervescent. Um, she was the in, star, you know, I've she, read that many times. She was yeah. just just such so magnanimous, you know, she was. Yeah, and everybody thought that she was brilliant. She wasn't the greatest beauty, but she was she was beautiful on the inside. Yes. Um, and, and and she was very lucky within a month of arriving. Um, Joe had asked uh, Nancy Astor to introduce her to kids her own age, uh, which she did. And she met a girl called Jean Ogilvie, who was the daughter of the Duke of Airlie. And um, who, by the way, was also a fascist, but mm. Duke of Airlie, not Jean Ogilvie. <laughs> yeah. And um, Jean then introduced Kick to her cousin, Billy Hartington, mm. who was the heir of the Duke of, of Devonshire. Well, he was Protestant. Um, something that didn't make the book, but I'll tell you right now, is I have a very dear friend who lives in New York, whose father was um, the president of W.R. Grace, and she told me that when they went off to um, England, Peter Grace was absolutely beside himself because he adored Kick. Mm. He came to London, tried to get her to marry him. She wouldn't even meet with him because she'd already fallen in love, head over heels in love with Billy. Mm -hmm. Peter Grace actually never married the love of his life. He ended up marrying his secretary, but that was it. Yeah. So, but he was Catholic and that's what his par her parents wanted. So when they saw this incredible budding romance going on um, and he was gonna be turning 21 in the summer of 38, he just, Joe and Rose said, what are we going to do? So they take kick off to um, Antibes with the rest of the family, thinking, oh, it'll cool down if they don't see each other for a few months. Well, that's obviously not what happened. He forced her to leave Britain um, when war was declared. He insisted that, you know, she not come back during the war while he was still in England. Um, and she just never forgot him, simply never forgot him. He never forgot her. Mm -hmm. And they finally, finally got married in 1943, tragically for only three weeks before he, he got killed in the war. I didn't realize it was only three weeks. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So then it's, is she or isn't she pregnant with the next Duke of Devonshire? I mean, poor, poor Joe was, was unable to handle all the funeral arrangements. Uh, Rose refused to allow the other children to go to the funeral. Okay, uh -huh. and so basically, uh, it was only thanks to the Duke and Duchess of Devonshire that she had a proper Catholic burial. All right, she uh, and she is still at the um, Devonshire home. She then met Peter. I forgot his last name now. Goodness, her, her second love yeah. <laughs> around 1946-47 after the war, and he was quite a, a wild child but incredibly wealthy, absolutely head over heels in love with her. Mm -hmm. And um, she basically uh, told her parents, I'm sorry, I, I married uh, despite the Catholic church and your connections, dad, not working for me to get um, some kind of a, uh, an agreement. I married into the Protestant faith once. I'm going to marry into it a second time. Okay. 
Rose was tried to stop her. That's in the book. Um, but sadly, uh, they died in an airplane crash. And it was a stupid airplane crash. Weather related, have... right? They never should have been flying. Does that sound very familiar, George, uh, John Kennedy Jr.? I mean, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, it's just the, uh, just so so much tragedy, so much loss. And this is only coming, what, four years after they'd lost Joe Jr. in the war. Um, yeah. And then just just so, so much. I, I think Kick is um, such an interesting Kennedy and one that I, I don't, you know, there's books on books on books on JFK, of course, RFK, as there should be. But I, I love reading about the the Kennedy sisters. Um, yes. Kick yes. in particular. Um, yeah. So so Joe, back to Joe now. So he serves as ambassador. He would never serve in public office again. Um, but of course, as his son, the 35th president of the United States, John F. Kennedy said, his father, quote, made it all possible. So yes. what would you say is, is Joe Kennedy Sr.'s enduring legacy? And why write about this particular two-year period in his life? Okay. Um, I think I'll turn the answer back another way. Uh -huh. um, I am very, very interested in the 1930s and why people acted the way they did. Mm -hmm. um, this is my third book that had, covers the period. And um, actually, I was looking for why there wasn't a better ambassador. Okay, at the time, because the guy who followed him uh, was the former governor of uh, New Hampshire, Gil Wynant, who was adored by everybody. Uh, State Department, Roosevelt, uh, he, even Truman loved him when he took over. So he stayed in, in place of quite some time. Uh, Churchill thought he was the best thing since sliced bread, really. So, you know, it was it was great. You know, that was fine. So here's this man who who fails as an ambassador. But his children adored him and he adored them. Okay. Mm -hmm. He was always dad to the boys, daddy to the girls. Rose was mother to all of them. You wrote that in the book. I, I thought that was striking. It's very striking. So, what is Kenny's, Kennedy's lasting legacy? It's the fact that he happened to raise four sons who, well, in the case of Joe Jr., we don't know. Um, and also in the case of Joe Jr., I'm, I'm afraid what would have happened if he had been uh, running for president during the McCarthy era, okay? Yeah. But, you know, certainly Bobby, Jack, and, and even Teddy for all his faults, okay? Um, they really were exceptional people. They, they tried to make America a better place. And they actually tried to make the world a better place. Um, you can fault them for all sorts of different things that they got wrong, but they were quite exceptional. Eunice with the Special Olympics. I mean, everybody was a, a high achiever. Had Eunice had been their, born a man, I truly believe she would, she have, would been have been president. I, I agree. I no agree. question. She was, uh, oh, she, now that's a formidable character right there. Yeah. But, you know, you, 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 and, and Pat and Jean which is lovely human beings like kick. kick kick yeah just lovely human beings and and what is is fascinating absolutely fascinating is the fact that to a person they were all exceptional even rosemary before she had the ill-fated lobotomy mm -hmm. which you know that happened because joe was trying to help her cope with the family of high achievers 
um, he was he was devastated. But you see, when it came to weakness, he couldn't admit weakness, and he kept the family away from her uh, because, of course, she had to be institutionalized after right. this failed lobotomy. And um, and so what happened was when Joe became infirm from his own stroke, uh, soon after uh, JFK became president, mm -hmm. suddenly the sisters started to see their sister again. Okay, mm -hmm. so there was there was a closeness that was always there. He he actually succeeded on a personal level where he failed um, on, on uh, more of an international level. Um, and you know that's his greatest legacy is his family. Wow. So, as as we wrap up, I'm I'm intrigued by a question that you actually asked yourself in your author's note and your acknowledgments, knowing now, of course, about how much Kennedy's quest for power ultimately cost his family. Joe Jr. perishing in World War II in service, of course, JFK's assassination, RFK's assassination. Um, you know, then this isn't really related to power, power conquest, but, you know, you've mentioned Rosemary's failed lobotomy, kicks plane crash, so much tragedy. If nothing, if in nothing else but human lives lost, do you think he would have found it worth it all in the end? I, I, I suspect that he didn't make connection between the various events, okay? And he certainly wouldn't have taken any onus of guilt onto himself. If it had been me, I would have stopped and said, oh my God, what's happening? No, we've got to stop this. We've got to figure out what's going on. We've got to stop it. You know, um, even Jackie, when when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, she just she left the country. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything what was if they're killing Kennedys, my children are at risk or I'm badly paraphrasing, but she got out. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this this is this is a, a key problem in America that hasn't actually been addressed. But I think Joe would have never seen anything as being his fault which is wrong. I don't think he would have stopped. I think he would have felt he could have changed things, which maybe is why the boys did, did die in their own way. I mean, you know, it's not exactly, I don't think we know the whole story and we won't in our lifetimes about the two Kennedy assassinations. Mm -hmm. um, but I suspect that everything is, um, there are a lot of changes that still have to be made. The, the, the violence has to stop. It just has to absolutely, stop. Absolutely, absolutely. This book right. is, is I told you offline, I'll say it again, one of the best I've read this year, The Ambassador, Susan Ronald. I so appreciate you being here today. What a great read. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care now. Such a great conversation. Thank you, Susan. My book pick of the week is about another family, not a political dynasty, but a Hollywood one. The Boys by brothers Ron Howard and Clint Howard details their lives as child stars, Clint struggles with alcoholism, and how through it all, they had each other. The Boys hits shelves this week, October 12th. As always, let me know what you're reading and what you're loving at hello, I'd rather be reading at gmail.com and follow, rate, and review our show. Thank you as ever for listening, and we'll be back next week with Dr. Melissa Shapiro with the most heartwarming interview I've probably ever had. Hint, it involves a dog. Stay tuned and see you next week.